Hi everyone, welcome to the Home Cinema Design Podcast and this is exciting. We've got our first guest this week and it's David Myrovitz from Trinov Audio. David, hi there. Yeah, good morning, Owen. Thanks for having me. So I remember you from Envision. You were kind of technical support guru and then training guru. Uh, you've been at Trinov for quite a few years now, but tell me the rest. Yeah, well, you, you've summed it up fairly accurately. Um, I was with Envision for, for seven years. Um, <clears throat> I have a lot to thank Mark Taylor and Steve Bean for, for giving me my start in this industry. Um, you know, coming from consumer electronics into uh, the custom install world was that was a quantum leap for me sure um you know from uh selling white goods and laptops and things to suddenly working with control systems and audio it was like wow this is a this is a cool place to be um so yeah i spent seven years with uh envision uh-huh. going through technical support sales support product management um marketing for technical marketing for a period and ultimately training. And I think that's that's probably where we met for the first time. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was just about to take on the training for Trinov um, when uh, Mr. Garrett kindly approached me and said, oh, by the way, um, we're looking for an international sales person. I thought, that sounds like a bit of fun. And, and the opportunity to, 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 to work with a, uh, work for a brand like Trinov was, was very alluring. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I jumped in and um, jumped in five years ago as um, technical sales manager for, for covering the European market. And um, uh-huh. here I am today, five years down the line. Very cool. Firstly, tell me about Trinov, because the interesting bit for me is that you're in home cinema, you're in kind of home hi-fi, you're in the studio and you're in the cinema. That's quite a lot. Yeah, we're, we're, we're quite uniquely placed in that way. Um, it was a... It, a very you know good strategy for the for, for the company to begin with um and it really started in the pro audio market um you know catering for the studios that was one of the first uh sort of commercial um ventures that we went into was down the pro side but yeah of course um as time went on we evolved into the uh into the the home market which i think is it's probably fair to say that's what we're we're best known for mm-hmm. um and probably least known for is the commercial cinema market because uh nobody really gets the opportunity to see under the hood of a of a commercial cinema and what's in there but uh yeah we we, we feature uh fairly prominently in that sector as well cool and will that be lots of cinemas i just don't know because i just bought a ticket and walked in or is that the kind of the better ones kind of where are you we're in what i would say are the more private uh boutique sort of cinema chains if you like hopefully one day but you won't find us in a in a city world or a uh, something of that nature because uh that market is is very dominated by Dolby, as you would uh, probably expect. We tend to go into a lot of smaller cinemas. The cinema on uh, Portobello Road, for example, in London, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's one with a, with a Trinov in. So, yeah, just uh, as an example there. No, cool. So sort of upscale, sort of boutique sort of in line with how you are in the, in, in the home market as well. Yeah. And how long has the company been going for? Yeah, so the company celebrated uh, 20 years last year. Um, and that's uh, you know twenty years of, of Trinov. Um, obviously, the, the the founders Arno, uh, Remy, and Sebastian have been working together for for longer than that. But yeah, Trinov as a as a company has been on the on on the go for twenty years now. Cool. And the things that stand out for me are kind of you do more research than the average manufacturer. I'd say. <laughs> yeah, that's very fair to say. We we are a, a heavily research focused company. Um, we have a large R&D department who are doing uh, fundamental scientific research. And, you know, that is the basis of what feeds uh, the product that uh, some of your listeners, uh, hopefully a lot of your listeners will be aware of. And then the other bit is that you, you know, when it comes to audio decoding and whatnot, 
it's very much not available silicon. It's very much kind of bespoke algorithms running on whatever will run them. So that's a bit different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a it's a software platform, uh, a PC platform, um, as opposed to a to a, a silicon DSP platform, as you as you mentioned, and that brings us a lot of advantages. Um, you know, just in terms of product lifecycle. Um, you know, we know we're an expensive product. There's no hiding away from that. But um, you know, the the lifecycle of our products is longer than uh, any in the industry, and you know, we can we can keep up to date. Um, you know, we've done trade shows with very early altitude units, um, you know, and, and that's just testament to the software upgradeability of the units. Um, and I think sometimes the, the, the PC aspect is looked on a bit negatively, but it is absolutely the, the reason that we continue to develop and uh, offer these, these uh, incremental upgrades as, uh, as time goes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes that makes total sense. So last episode, we kind of very, very vaguely touched on the idea of double base array as our sort of start point. So yeah, and because it was me saying it, and I haven't really done that in anger, mm-hmm. I might have got something wrong. But my basic understanding is you have subs in the front wall, you have time delayed subs in the back wall, and they basically catch the wave before it can bounce back. Is that about right? Yeah, that that is. And um, <clears throat> you know the the. The, the key point um, that you touched on there is that the rear woofers are doing the catching. Um, so by nature, their signal is inverted. Mm-hmm. So they are they are a complete uh, polarity, inv- polarity inverse of the fronts. And, you know, it's a very, very good technology. Fundamentally, from a physics perspective, in terms of where the subwoofers are positioned, um, it's it's got a very, a very uh, you know, good scientific um, backbone to it. Um, but the funny thing about it was it was never really conceived for home cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it has to be in very ideal conditions in terms of uh, the room dimensions. Um, it requires, you know, a cube shape to, to be optimal. Um, and God forbid you want to put inconvenient things like uh, risers, sofas and human beings in the way. Um, <laughs> that certainly has an impact on how well the uh, the array um, can work so whilst it's a very good foundation um there is certainly some improvements that can be made upon it cool so that leads us to uh waveforming before we dive into kind of how it works um how long has this been in the pipeline how long has this taken you yeah well uh, you know as, as i mentioned at the start you know we, we are a fundamental uh research company so uh the guys have been working on this for six years or more now okay it's one of those one of those things that, you know, when you present to the market, it seems to have, you know, come out of, of, of thin air, but it does take a long time. Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, we're, we're trying to solve the, the, the fundamental problem of small room base reproduction. You know, it's a, it's a very complex subject and uh, many have, have uh, you know, given ways to mitigate the problem over the years, but no one's really come up with a way to completely solve the problems and we'll, we'll go into what those problems are i'm sure in a, in a few minutes but that's that's fundamentally where we started and it's actually almost a funny story um the way it began because arno Labry, our ceo um he was having some fairly significant base problems in his own home theater mm-hmm. and um like any mechanic with a dodgy car or um plumber with a leaky tap arno's tinker yeah uh, yeah arno's um home theater is far from typical and uh, far from ideal as well so 
you know, he presents himself some unique challenges. I'd like to say he did it on purpose, but um, I'm not sure that's the case. But, you know, what it meant was that he was really struggling with the modal response in his room. He had a lot of peaks, a lot of dips and cancellations. Um, and of course, you know, using the traditional methods of, of adding more subwoofers to mitigate that problem is great. But in true Arno fashion, that wasn't good enough and he wanted to solve the problem altogether. And that's really where it started. Yeah, that sounds... That sounds really, really normal to me. You know, yeah, yeah. It's it's like any hobbyist. You know, you you find you. It's like any engineer. You find a problem, you overcome, right? So yeah, you kind of worry at it until it's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, cool. So waveforming. Mm-hmm. What's different between that and regular double bass array? Sure. So let's um, let's maybe just back up just a touch uh-huh. and and maybe just for the listeners, really explain what we're talking about in terms of the problems. Sure. Um, the fundamental problems with small rooms and small rooms being the typical, you know, uh, home theatre size, whether you're in, you know, America, UK, whatever, they all yeah. come under the banner of small rooms. You know, we're talking something typically, uh, you know, no wider, taller or, or, or longer than sort of 10 metres, something in that sort of range. Could be more, could be less. Mm. The reason why this becomes a problem is anything less than the 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 length of the sound waves means that you are going to have reflections and those reflections are going to manifest themselves either as a cancellation or as a peak and depending on where you're sitting you're either in a cancellation or you're in a peak or you're lucky and you're in neither indeed and and this is this is what we term as room modes um or standing waves whichever mm-hmm. adjective you wish to use and um they're very very complex you know they're not just two dimensional they are three dimensional as well and how to mitigate those and you know using an array of speakers to 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 do that um is very much the accepted method and the double bass array went a long way to solving a lot of the problems. Um, it's not only looking at the frequency domain, it's also looking at the time domain. So we'll, we'll circle back to that later on. But, you know, in the frequency domain, we're trying to look for a, for a nice flat frequency response in the bass. So we're talking typically below 100 hertz. Let's just use that as a, as a bit of a bracket. Sure. Um, and that's where we get the wildest swings in terms of uh, plus and minus in the in the frequency range. Um, higher up, the frequency range is much easier to deal with. With you know, uh, absorptive material doesn't have to be particularly thick, doesn't have to be particularly technical. Yeah. But when you get down into those low frequencies where the wavelengths start to get very long, um, you know, a twenty hertz wave being seventeen meters, mm-hmm. you suddenly need a lot more fuzzy stuff and it needs to be a lot lot thicker to absorb that energy um and that's not particularly practical you know to give up a meter worth of uh of, of space in a room for this thick fuzzy material to act as an absorption material for those for those waves is fairly inconvenient um because you know you need to model that and you need to you know put some acoustic analysis to it and work out the density of that material, the absorption coefficient of that material, and what effect it's actually going to have. And let's be honest, even then, by the time you get into the room, um, there's some stuff that changes. You know, mm-hmm. the, the 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 concrete wall is a bit more absorptive than than expected in 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 some ways. And 
long story short, it changes the game when you actually get there, and then you you're you're left with very little flexibility about where you can go from there. So mm-hmm. the double base array was a great start because um, it fundamentally uh, cut down those reflections quite dramatically. Um, so we were able to get uh, much better um, control over the frequency range and the and the time domain as well to a point. But as I said in the beginning, you know the double base array was assuming or is assuming i should say that the wave is the same as it left the speakers as when it reaches the back and unfortunately that's just not the case sure because this thing's in the way indeed indeed so those are the fundamental problems that we're dealing with and you guys are dealing with as integrators and i think it's safe to say and i think you guys have already said this that the 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 base is the most difficult part to get right and you know determining what is right is is also fairly difficult because we're not used to hearing um bass in the way it was recorded Mm. the room has such a massive effect over the bass um that actually what we're listening to is is not really what was recorded you know if you think about a, a kick drum in a studio that studio has a fairly low reflection decay time um but the microphone is also recording those reflections yeah, and it's also one reason why, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time kind of in that chat with other integrator buddies and they're going, oh, I know what I like and it's subjective and I'm going, you're wrong, you get used to things. Humans get used yeah. to things. That's, that feels right to me. Yes, because that's what you're used to. That's nothing to do with what went on the tape or more likely these days, what went on to digital. Indeed, and, and, and you know, when, when we plant that into, into the customer domain and, uh, you know, again, that subjectivity comes in because you know what we really like is loud bass that makes us feel wobbly mm-hmm. and you know it's uh it's all nice and nice and loud everything's rattling it's like oh yeah that's brilliant that's it's huge but you know fundamentally you know any good speaker system is designed to reproduce the recording in the way it was recorded mm-hmm. you know whatever that is whether it's a live instrument or a foley effect or whatever so when the room has such an impact over these low frequencies then that kick drum that was recorded in a studio now sounds like it was recorded in a church, you know, because the room is adding adding stuff, uh, yeah. adding decay onto that already recorded decay. So th- this is this is the problem, and um, you know, this is what we're here to solve. Yeah, very good. Let's talk about solving it then. I got some questions about waveforming because I've kind of yeah. had a look at the guidelines. Admittedly, a quick look. I've been out on projects and that kind of thing. Um, you have two fundamental theatre processes, right? There's an altitude thirty two. And an altitude sixteen, which can do twenty channels, if if I'm remembering correctly. You certainly are. Good. How many channels do you need to do this? So, this all this all comes back to the engineering and the design element because you know it can be as few as four or it can be as many as you like. Is really what it comes down to. Okay. Um, I think we've shown at various shows over the year that uh, over the years that um, you know a large number of subwoofers is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, that's not really what's required. And what is required is to gain an understanding of the dimensions of the room, because the dimensions of the room um, in terms of its height and its width is what's going to dictate the number of subwoofers and their placements. Oh, yeah. um, we follow the sort of placement um, recommendations that you would see from a from a double base array. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that that placement is ideal yep. because, you know, the Germans are clever, and when they <laughs> developed such a technology, they knew what they were doing. 
So we build off of the back of that, and you know, in a in a, a, a typical size room, you know, anything up to about five meters in width, depending on the height of that room, you could need you know somewhere from either two, three, four, six subwoofers, and the parameters that dictate that are the size of the wall area, as I've just mentioned, um, but also what frequency range you want to correct up to. Uh-huh. So the higher the frequency range, the higher density of subwoofers you need. So if you're quite happy to stop at 80 hertz for, for, for correction, then you can get away with a fewer number. If you want to go right up to 120 hertz and above, then you need more. Cool. So they're the two parameters that dictate that. Now, um, with our guidelines that you um, that you mentioned, it's quite important to note that we are striving for the best, mm-hmm. the 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 peak of performance. So you know, I think that's quite important for 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 the listeners to understand because you know, yes, you could do it with fewer, but what are the advantages and disadvantages of doing that? Well, the advantage is probably cost. You know, as you get less amplification, less subwoofers, less channels. Um, the cost goes down, of course, but so does the performance. And the performance parameters we're trying to solve are C2C consistency. Uh-huh. That's one of the big ones. Yeah, so yeah. obviously yourself and Tom, when you were discussing calibration the other week, um, mentioned you know your multi-mic setups to get your, your spatial average. Uh-huh. And you know that C2C consistency is very, very hard to achieve um, to get it the same or perceivably the same and you know i know uh you guys certainly and hopefully a lot of your listeners are very uh becoming au fait with rp22 and one of those criteria is seat c consistency below 100 hertz mm-hmm. um the gold standard as it's uh as it's seen today um in that document is plus minus 2 db from 100 hertz down yeah um to the reference seating position and one adjacent seat so you and the wife can sit there and have moderately, you know, perceptively very, very much the same experience. Um, we're actually not that good at detecting those 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 differences in that sort of region. Sure. But when you go to the back row, as an example, and this is very, very common, um, a lot of rear rows in, in, in cinemas are pushed up against the rear wall. Uh-huh. Um, you're in a massive power zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you will suddenly have swings of 15, 20 dB. And then that's very perceivable, as you can, as you can, uh, you can imagine. Um, yeah, as I know. I mean, that's the, that's the whole reason I've gone with that bar thing, is just to get people away from that bit at the back. And it causes not trouble, but it surprises people. Because people are going, can't I use the space more efficiently? Can't I do this? Can't I do that? And I'm like, well, it depends. Do you want it to be any good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's and that's fundamentally it. And you know, you're you're taking them away from that power zone, and and that means that we can we can get that that tighter consistency. But um, you know, even in even then, you're still you know way above that sort of maybe five to ten dB differences. And you know, as we're applying EQ to these peaks, you know, yes, you can take away a peak. Um, you know, at, at let's say 40 hertz we can reduce that by however much is required to 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 bring that down to a flat level but that's going to have a knock-on effect in the other seats so Mm -hmm. you know it's a constant balance and you know that is the trick um when it comes to calibrating um you know base is is that 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 
I guess, that spatial average and getting that as, as close as possible. That's the aim. So that's that's what we're trying to solve with, or you know, what we're able to solve with waveforming. And the second one is the decay time. Yeah. So frequency domain is actually fairly easy to solve. We can make a graph look nice and flat quite happily by either adding more subs or applying stupid amounts of EQ and getting a bit dangerous. <laughs> um, but what that doesn't solve is the time domain. So when you look at a, a waterfall plot, um, you'll see that the frequencies hang around in the room for different lengths of time yes so all right so you've you've, you've maybe sort of mitigated one of the problems you've got those those frequencies those notes um sounding the same level perceptively um in terms of eq but what you can't solve with eq is the time domain and if that 40 hertz frequency as a, as to use the same example hangs around for half a second or more in the room that's going to start to color the sound and you're going to get a, a fairly bloated, um, fairly muddied bass experience. Yes. I think that's fairly safe to say. Mm-hmm. So that's really that's really what we're doing the job of solving. And um, that is what waveforming is designed to do. So, you know, we can quite happily, as we've proven over and over at trade shows and other events, um, get a seat, seat seat consistency of that plus minus 2 dB um, across 18 seats, wow. um, as we've done at ISC and Cedia. Um, and we can get that decay time down to something that's um, really actually fairly unpleasant to listen to, almost anechoic, which is sort of 50 milliseconds. Um, <laughs> so, um, and anybody who's been in an anechoic chamber will know that's not a pleasant place to be. Sure. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, when we're listening, we, we need reflections. We need, you know, first of all, for, for, for our balance, you know, if you take all the high frequencies away in an anechoic chamber, you start to feel a bit unbalanced. Um, but certainly in the bass, you lose a lot of fun. And, you know, what it comes down to in the end is is fun. You know, whether it's whether it's accurate, obviously that's what we're aiming for. And I hate that word accurate, but 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 it's a it's you know, it's 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 something we all resonate with. And um <clears throat> ultimately we're trying to produce that that fun. And and that fun comes from uh either, you know, a, an excitement level in the base where it's uh, you know enjoyable or whether it's really accurate if you if you if you you know want to listen to those nuances um and then you can uh, you know you can listen to your favorite concert um or music or whatever and have it very faithfully reproduced and and they're the challenges we're trying to overcome oh there's a question mm-hmm. i know we can do things i know from train off training and so on i think we can do things depending on for example number of occupants in the room you know we can tailor the response of a whole system depending on whether it's just me and the wife or whether it's me and the wife and three or four friends. Um, can you do that with the waveforming as well? Can you have like different responses depending on what you're up to? Yeah, so we, we can certainly do uh, different responses. So in terms of target curve, that's fine. We can do a different target curve for movies or for music. Um, typically for movies, you'll have a uh, more base, um, yeah. more base level. Um, but uniquely with waveforming, what we can also do is actually adjust that decay time. Cool. So this this is the benefit of going into the active domain is that we we suddenly have control over um you know that correction so um we can have a very very short decay um or we can have a much much longer decay and you know we can set that parameter within the software and what that really equates to is a very dry bass sound so you know very little decay so it's it's very accurate again to use that horrible term but bordering on 
uh, a bit unnatural, if I'm being honest, uh-huh. um, all, all the way up to, you know, maintaining the vast majority of the decay in the room. And then you lose that accuracy. Um, and, and then we can find somewhere in between, you know, and I think that's, that's the key, um, you know, that we can, we can say, well, we want this, this, or this as a, as, as an option and save those as different presets in the same way that you can with, uh, with different target curves and a combination of both to get the result you want for your customer. Very good. Let's imagine we've got an altitude 32 and let's imagine we've got four subs at the front and three at the back, say, to pick a number from yep. uh, from thin air pretty much. Is that using up seven channels on the processor or is that using up more or fewer than that? Yeah, it's using all seven. So I guess the, the main fundamental difference between waveforming and a double base array is that uh, we measure and control each subwoofer independently. Uh-huh. And that's really, really important. You know, we need to understand how the subs work as a whole, but also how they work individually um, and get them working individually correctly. You know, we measure the impulse response of each of those subwoofers and we make sure that they are firing at the same time so that we can, uh, you know, we can we can produce the 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 wave that we want. Um, and then, you know, from that, we've got a much better accuracy on on how we can absorb when that uh, when that gets to the back. And another important differentiator is that all the subs are in phase. Uh-huh. So any sub can be used as either an emitter or an absorber. As it stands today, because the software is not released yet, sure. um, we're emitting from the front and absorbing at the back. But in the fullness of time, we will be able to base manage from the rear um, array. So, you know, as with anything, we're we're trying to push on and and trying to give technology that uh, people are excited about. And and you know, we are running our early access program currently um, to qualifying installs or qualifying uh, systems. Um, and the basic um, parameter for that is that you can put the subs where we want them. Um, I know that everybody will want, um, you know, the 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 system to work with what it's got and make the best of it, um, and that's absolutely fine. And in the fullness of time, that will be a that will be a uh, you know a, an option. But as it stands at the moment, we are really trying to solve the the professionals' problem, which is how to uh, solve this problem in a in a room design. Yeah, that seems like the right way. Let's do this job absolutely correctly. And then over time, potentially, let's see if we can do it for less, if you like. But I think controlling that quality, especially at the beginning of a newish technology, that seems like the right way to me. Otherwise, you just get the Wild West all over again. And we we have enough of that in our industry, I think. Yeah, and the the key is predictability. You know, we can very, very accurately model, um, you know, what any given speaker layout is going to do you know we we do this with our with our speaker partners for for trade shows you know uh-huh. we start with you know where we're going to place the speakers and then my r&d team um do what r&d teams do and and um you know mathematic it to to you know to the moon and back and come back with a set of graphs that say well if we do this it will be this if we do this it'll be this if we do this it'll be this and um you know that's a wonderful thing but you know what you lose um when you go into the you know domain of well you know we don't know where the speakers are in the first place so we've just got to work with what we've got is you lose that predictability so it might work and it might work fantastic for one seat but how's it going to do for the rest of the seats or will it work at all you know those are the the swings and roundabouts you can get with that approach sure it just seems to me that therefore for now waveforming is probably means you've got an altitude 32 is that fair? 
no, no. Actually, I'd um, I'll go on. I'd combat that one if I may. Um, do please do. I, yeah. I did. I did a show in Luxembourg um, just a couple of weeks ago uh, in a hotel room, and it was a boardroom in a, in, a, in a hotel, and <clears throat> we used um, a wonderful array of speakers, um, and we used seven subwoofers. So we did use the four in the front, three in the back, yeah. and that allowed us to do a nine point seven point four setup. So I think if you take into account the sort of average size of a of, of a UK home, um, where these cinemas are being put in, if you're not going above two rows of seats, then really nine surround channels is a very good number to use. And again, if you're not going over two rows of seats, then four overhead channels is is enough. So that is interesting. I do know so then, of, um, a cinema I'm very yeah. familiar with that has nine bed channels and four overhead. So that is super interesting. But then, you know, depending on the size of that room, we might be able to, you know, say, well, we'll go with three in the front and two in the back or or four in the front, three in the back, whatever that ends up being. Um, and then it becomes, you know, somewhat attainable. You've reminded me of my next question. What dictates whether a subwoofer is going to be suitable? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, we haven't had a chance to um, test every subwoofer on the market. But, you know, we, we, we are looking for... Um, uh-huh. subs with a coherent impulse response. Um, we need to be able to pick up the impulse response of that subwoofer. So, um, you know, as long as that's the case, and we've done tests with, um, you know, transmission line subwoofers, we've done tests with normal point source subwoofers with, uh, you know, dual firing and force cancelling and all that sort of stuff. And uh, we we pick up their impulse response just fine. So I'm not going to say that there isn't a limit um, to subwoofers, but... sure. Um, as I say, because we haven't tried everything, um, you know, something like a, a plaster in subwoofer uh, might be a challenge. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, mo- most of the time, I think it's fine. You know, when we're talking about, you know, sealed or ported or, or, or RTL or whatever, um, they're the most commonly used uh, topologies of subs. And, you know, they all work just fine. Um, I would certainly say that we don't want to be mixing topologies um, as with any solution. Um, Absolutely. Again, this is a very sophisticated algorithm, but, you know, at the end of the day, the physics um, is what dictates. And if you start mixing and matching subwoofers and changing impulse responses and phase responses, then, you know, you're, you're, you're screwing things up before you even get started. And I mean, it's it's a bad idea in a standard system, so I don't see why it would suddenly become a good idea with this. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, while we're on subwoofers, um, you know, making sure they have enough SPL is is always a, an issue. We find uh-huh. majority of systems that, that certainly that I go into and calibrate, majority of them are sublimited. Yep. Um, you know, so, yeah, using, uh, you know, sensitive subs with, um, you know, good power handling, really good power handling is is good. You know, we're, we're, we're moving subs out of power zones. You know, when you put subs in the corners, you get wonderful things like boundary gain and, and room gain. And we are actually removing a lot of that by moving those subs into those positions uh, that we require, but then also um, removing a lot of that decay uh-huh. is the is the room gain that we're getting. So, yeah, we you know we would say that uh, you know certainly going a bit of a step up on what you normally would on subwoofers, and that doesn't mean it has to be expensive. Um, you know, you don't have to use X Y Z brand of subwoofer that's super super expensive, but you know, as with anything. But as long as the performance and you know the SPL is is uh, you know gives the headroom that's required, then by all means go for it. Cool, awesome, thank you. 
What else do people need to know? Some of the important things, you know, really are how to design these systems. You know, it's all very well me saying that you need four subs in the front, three in the back, whatever. Um, but where do you actually place those? And, uh, you know, what, what's the, the process? So um, we have a very helpful online tool mm-hmm. that we share with our, our dealer partners. Um, and it's a very simple tool in, in its presentation um, in that you put the dimensions of the wall and the frequency range that you want to correct up to, and it will tell you how many and where those subs need to be to hit this uh, this ideal performance parameter. Wicked. We can then start discussing how we could potentially reduce. Um, we know that the emission is far more important than the absorption. So like with anything, I guess, you know, if you solve the problem correctly in the first place, then you've got less to do, uh-huh. uh, you know, in, in the absorption. So... Um, we would always look to reduce um, on the back wall if possible, um, or reduce the upper uh, frequency range. They're, they're the two the two things. Um, and something we also take into account is risers. So if you've got a forty centimeter riser or whatever, obviously mm-hmm. as long as it's a, a solidly built riser, which you'd, you'd hope it would be, um, that is then what we dictate as the the, the wall size. So you know if it's a two point nine meter high wall at the front then it might be 2.5 at the back and that can actually then reduce the number of subs uh we may need to use at the back but again you know you can do it in terms of good better best you know your your four by let's let's say your six by six is is the best for that given room size you could then go you know six by four six by two and they could be your good better best and and what's going to reduce is um the seat seat consistency so you may go from plus minus 2 db to maybe plus minus uh, three or four dB, uh-huh. maybe, um, you know, again, depending, which is still pretty damn good um, across all seats in the cinema. Um, and you may get a little less control in the decay time. So you may not be able to get down to that stupidly um, dry decay time. So, yeah, you know, as with anything, there's a, there's 100% performance and then we can dial it back. Perfect. Because this is, this is already how we sell things to customers. Let's face it. You kind of say this is the ultimate you can have. Yeah. And then usually after they've, after you've picked them off their chair, you kind of scale it back a bit from there. Yeah. I think that's, um, you know, safe to say if you, if you offer three options, good, better, best, most time they're going to go for better. Maybe they can, maybe they can go for best, but, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's the reality. And, you know, we need to be able to accommodate that. Um, you know, this is not a solution that's just for the, uh, just for the, for the elites out there, obviously, you know, the, the price of the technology itself does, you know, it's not for the masses, of course, but, you know, equally when you're spending X amount of tens, hundreds of thousands on a room um, and you can't get the base right, then, you know, that is a big uh, driving factor into the enjoyment of that space, I would say. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it's genuinely exciting. It's genuinely fun to be around for sort of a big step forward for the industry. There's a good question. Thank you. Um the price of the technology, uh, is this available free of charge to Altitude owners or is there a further license? No, so um, we're very kind and we like to uh, give you extra. So uh, you mentioned the Plus 4 digital extension. We did we did that last year. That was a free of charge upgrade. And waveforming is no, no different. Uh-huh. We know that um, this technology is going to cost something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, you know, why should we charge extra for it? And, you know, ultimately... Going back to our our ethos of um, you know sustainability with the product and and you know long life cycles, um, those people that took the plunge and invested in the technology in the beginning, um, we want to give them something back, and uh, that's absolutely the uh, these the ethos from the founders. So yeah, it will be a free of charge upgrade. Fabulous. 
lovely. Tell me about education. You know, I'm a big believer in badges. I've got kind of most of what I could get. I've got a couple still to do, like HAA. There's an exam back certification for Trinov now, I believe. Yeah, indeed. So, you know, as as we've 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 grown over the years, you know, we 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 realised that you know we need to sort of uh, formalise and standardise our training program. Um, so we very recently uh, bought on uh, Dave Pedigo, uh-huh. who I'm sure many of the listeners will be familiar with from his days at CDA and OralX, um, and obviously his, his history in THX as well. Um, and he came in and uh, he really shook up our training program and really standardized it. Um, so we do currently have a level one, which is our basic, which is, you know, from, I don't know what an altitude is, how many connections it's got all the way up to uh you know a, a, a basic calibration and an acceptable level of calibration and then that exam is uh there is an exam at the end so it's uh, it's, a, it's a certified program um we are working on level two so that will be uh you know sort of a more advanced um setup in including many advanced parameters in the in the, in the software um and then we will ultimately do one for waveforming as well so um yeah it's as with anything, it's going to take time. But yeah, we, we're, we're firm believers on education. It's why we support, um, you know, CDA so heavily with uh, with all of their initiatives on education. Um, you know, it's our it's our job as manufacturers to to give back to to the industry and share our knowledge with the industry. And and yeah, that's um, a big part of what we're doing. Yeah, I always think that if the standards are there and if the knowledge is out there, systems are better people don't have to put out fires you don't have disgruntled customers going i've spent all this money and it's mm. or even customers actually who never even think about it to that extent but mm. there's you know a hundred thousand pound theater that isn't sounding its money yeah and i've 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 come across this in my past you know when i first started um in the industry i was dealing with control systems and the amount of times i heard oh we're ripping this out or we're going to put this in it's like well you know, there's no, I mean, there's no really bad control systems, but there are a lot of bad programming. Sure. Um, the same with, same with networks as well. You 100%. Know, the, the networking gear that's there may be absolutely fine, but whoever implemented it may not have had the knowledge. So, and, and I think very much the same with, uh, with, with, with everything else, you know, it's, no, I agree. it's, it's, you know, if the theater doesn't sound good, then it's never going to be the speaker manufacturer's fault. It's always going to be the black box in the middle that's doing all the audio decoding. Um, so it's our job to empower our, our, our dealers to uh, to do a better job. So we've talked about what it is, but of course it's home cinema. It's all about the kind of the emotional impact. It's all about the emotional response. Where can I hear this currently? Yeah. So so this is this is the next thing. You know, we can we can talk to the to the back teeth about how to specify it. You know, and and what you can experience. But ultimately, um, seeing is believing, or in this case, hearing is believing. Um, we are running uh, an event with Envision. Um, so that is on the 30th of November, and it's going to be held at the CDA offices in St. Neitz. We're doing three sessions throughout the day, so 10 till 12, uh, 2 till 4, and then uh, 6 till 8 in the evening. Um, so if you would like to attend, um, please do contact Envision, um, and they will uh, send you the link to register for the event and, and pick whichever time slot is uh, is correct for you. And then, of course, coming around to ISC is the next big opportunity to see it in a in a, in a full blown, um, you know, theatre example. But um, yeah, we, we we wanted to to show what was possible in a in a fairly unideal um, scenario, and that's uh, that's no uh, disrespect to CDS fine offices that they have there, but uh, you know, it is 
uh, drop ceiling and you know just all, all, all the stuff that you get in a, in a general uh, sort of commercial building so we're going to be doing a setup in there cool and we can go through yeah we'll, we'll be presenting the solution a lot of the stuff that we've talked about in terms of specification locations um, and then ultimately some demonstration as well so yeah we'd love to see you there mm, very good right final one what's the next big thing from Trinov? Yeah, we, we, we actually have a very exciting 2024 coming up. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I, I can't tell you much about it because, you know, we, we, we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. Um, but we do have <clears throat> a number of announcements coming in 2024. Um, the good news is that waveforming will be formally released in, in 2024. We're hoping for the early part, uh, very early part, in fact, of, of 2024. So that in itself is exciting. Um, we'll obviously provide all the documentation and everything. Those of you that follow our newsletter uh, will have seen we've just upgraded our um, iOS and uh, Mac OS um, and Windows applications, uh, which are sort of control applications for, for the products. Uh-huh. One of the significant um, updates to the Mac and the Windows one is uh, the new interface on one of our pro products, which is called the Nova. Um, so that's the introduction of a new product into the pro space. Um, and the development of the interface is also coming to the altitude as well. So we're, um, I say we, the Royal We, my UX team and, and devs yeah, yeah. Um, are all working very, very hard on uh, on, on that new interface um, to come to the products. Because I think it's fair to say that when you get inside a Trinov unit, um, it's not the most aesthetically pleasing in there. Um, it's very much an engineering menu. And when you understand signal flow through DSP, then it makes complete sense. But if you don't, then it, it kind of doesn't. So, <laughs> you know, it's fair to say that we could do a better job on, um, you know, improving our user experience. And that's exactly what the new interface is designed to do, as well as bringing a load of new features. So, yeah, we, we do have a lot coming um, and we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll make some formal announcements uh, when we're when we're ready to do so. Awesome. Thank you, David ever so much for coming in so that's waveforming that's the brand new technology if you're in the uk there's an opportunity to hear it at cedia via envision david marovitz thank you very much no thank you Owen. thanks for your time brilliant right we've been the home cinema design podcast we'll see you next time bye